It's Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now it's time for Mac to Mac. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, this is what everyone's been waiting for, another edition of Mac to Mac. The first one blew up, which we expected to happen. The second one, well, we thought, uh, big bro, that we'd be talking about the first couple days of the French Open and sort of getting our feet dirty, so to speak, with the tournament, seeing how the top players look. But things have taken quite a turn in the tennis world. And I think the last thing you said to me before you went off to cover the French Open for NBC was right after the initial Naomi Osaka statement, which was about five, six days before the tournament. And you said to me, as only you could, really, oh, you said, I give her credit. She put the ball in their court. Well, the ball has taken a different t- turn since then in the last couple of days, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 very concerned uh, about our sport, even more so after what's transpired the last couple of days. Um, I thought that uh, what Naomi did initially would give food for thought to the powers that be, but they felt they had to come back with something strong and intimidating, obviously. And uh, what they did uh, caused to me a lose lose for everyone. Now, um, Naomi's decided not to play. Um, she's laid bare her own feelings, which uh, is is good for us to know as uh, just people that outsiders looking in. But 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 the truth is is that I think this is only going to bring more attention to it down the road. So that's going to be difficult for her. Uh, the powers that be uh, didn't need to, in my opinion, take it to the level where they were threatening to falter. That would be a major negative for the sport. Um, and that's what they did. Uh, it's one thing to find a, a player. A player, obviously, like Osaka, can afford it, and maybe that money could have gone to a good cause. But now they've now what they've done to me exploded in their face. So hopefully, because I've seen in, incidents in the past. Uh, I will mention my great rival Bjorn Borg walking away from the game at about 25 years of age, and that was completely mishandled. I believe there's been incidences where young female players such as a Jennifer Capriati was under undue pressure and it obviously affected her in a great way. You could look at Monica Sellis and nothing has really changed so far. So I'm hopeful that down the road because of this, finally there'll be more of a partnership. I think ultimately the players want to feel like they're part of the success of our sport as opposed to just hired guns. And maybe this will be a first step towards that. It's it's so far in the past, I've been around this sport, the better part professionally for 40 years. And I've seen very little change that, um, uh, for the better. Um, and, uh, it, this would be a, a great moment, uh, considering it's laid bare, uh, a lot of emotions on both sides. 
Yeah, I mean, well said. And I, I 100% agreed with your assessment of the statement released by not just the French Open, but all four of the Grand Slams. I thought initially I'm reading and saying, okay, you know, they make some valid points. They want to speak, talk about mental illness. They uh, said they claim they reached out to Osaka and her team, but they didn't hear back in those subsequent three or four days before she took to court for her first round match. But then to go out there, and you know, we all know it's lingering out there, the possibility we in the tennis world know that it's possible that the fines or the punishment could get more extreme but to put that out in that statement being the first public statement they made was to me so far off base and sort of you know you said to me they you know Naomi put the ball in their court well they backed her into a corner in my opinion with that uh, statement of uh, essentially threatening to disqualify her there's got to be some discussion now moving forward Johnny Mac about how we all in the tennis world, the media world, and so on, can, can come to terms with what this means. Obviously, mental health is a huge issue. We know that. Give Naomi credit for bringing that to the forefront. But there's so many ways to communicate now. Does it have to just be a press conference after every match with all that we've been through now in the last year and a half especially? Well, uh, exactly. Um, this pandemic has been a horror show for a lot of people. Um, and we're just seeming to come out of it now. And we're trying to figure out ways to make ourselves uh, take a deep breath as human beings, take a step back and try to make ourselves a better people and to try to learn from this tragedy that we've been going through, the, the whole world in essence. And in a small microcosm, you have a situation where someone like Naomi Osaka, who's never really been comfortable in the spotlight, is being pushed by a lot of people a lot of different ways. She's become very marketable because she's a great player. Um, so presumably her agents, you know, pushing to get more deals done. So she's got that coming. And so the people will say, well, why How can't she do this? I mean, she's making all types of money. Yes. Um, and that's a little bit more controlled. And that they're probably pushing that a little too far for her comfort level. And it seems like with social media, I'm not on social media, but I certainly hear about it a lot. The players can express themselves through their own Twitter accounts, whatever way they want to do it, and talk about the matches and, and, and do the things that they need to do in a different way. So this would certainly be explored, but you know, it, it even goes to a bigger picture in our sport. Should there be a commission or a person that oversees all this that can make decisions uh, uh, and, and bring all these different factions together. You know, these four majors, you know, they're the biggest thing, or they think they're the biggest thing in tennis. I personally think it's the players. And they are dictating the rules, more or less, and that you have to play under a certain way. And I think that um, all this has to be reevaluated. And it's, I'm hopeful that the players are able to form a real partnership, not with the tournament directors, the whole sport in general, and that they feel that they're as much involved as anyone else in the, the decisions that affect their own lives. I mean, you could go down the list, and I'll include myself, where the stress of, of dealing with um, sometimes tennis-related, sometimes non-tennis-related issues where you had to be confronted, you were being confronted by the press, affected me in a negative way, and, and, and I can only imagine how it would be for uh, younger 
uh, men and women that haven't experienced it. I had experienced it for quite a while, and I found it overwhelming at times. And I just find that it's uh, it, it's not set up um, the sport in a way that nurtures and protects the players the way they could and should be protected. That's part of why when we talk about our own tennis academy, the idea of you know going to college, for example, you know I'm getting off the topic a little bit, but to me this goes a little bit towards mental health. Um, if they're able to grow up as, as kids and turn into young men and young women and mature and be able to handle what's going to be thrown at them, they'll be, a, be better equipped to deal with it when the time comes. So these are the type of things that should be taken far more seriously. A lot's been expected from Naomi Osaka for a long time. There was the horror show, what happened after she beat Serena. She talked about yesterday how she has felt a lot of depression since that, the way that whole thing went down. Uh, she rebounded beautifully last year at the U.S. Open. She was able to express herself without having to really talk much, which she admitted when she uh, wrote about when she wrote her essay yesterday that she has trouble dealing with. So we have to be able to use a, uh, the, each individual player and utilize them in the way that they feel most comfortable with. I mean, there's some players that play better on clay courts. There's some players that like hard courts. There's some people that travel better. So we have to look for ways that each individual player can handle it to the best of their ability to put them in as, as most positive situation as possible to help our sport. I thought that Osaka's comment uh, in the last day was was really spot on. I mean, she took ownership. She took responsibility for maybe not quite, <clears throat> excuse me, wording her initial statement properly enough. And, and as far as tying mental health into, you know, it sounded like from her first statement, like, well, maybe she just didn't want to talk to the press because it was a pain in the ass and because, you know, you don't want to talk about that. You're not good on clay and those types of things. But, you know, when I spoke to Dr. Uh, Lieberman, John, I had him on my podcast. I did a special one just over the weekend, who I, by the way, play tennis with at Randall's Island, who's a head of psychiatry at Columbia. So he's a professional. And, and he said he really illuminated some things for me where he said, listen, when someone is making comments like this, uh, meaning Naomi Osaka, in a way, she's looking for help. You know, she's, and, and so, cause I've heard, right. as you've heard on, you know, and you hear this all the time, ah, oh, shut up and play. You know, you're making 50 million a year, whatever you're doing. If you're a basketball player, a tennis player, what have you. And he's saying, no, no, it's not about the money. It's not about whether you can deal with the stress of playing the match. There's other stresses that come up and by just push brushing it aside, you're not giving it the proper empathy and proper respect which uh, I thought Naomi, you know, kind of sat back and saw what happened. And she said, wait a second, this turned, has turned into a firestorm. And I see what kind of what I've done. I actually believe she really wanted to just highlight her own issues and also help the sport and help the game by bringing attention to it. And it all sort of blew up over that four-day period. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, on some level, she was looking out for herself as she should. I think in the bigger picture, she's got what I hear is a relatively new team, some new people around her trying to advise her that perhaps pushed the envelope too far. Um, I think that she was very honest and bare with her comments uh, when she talked about her own insecurities and depression and all the other things she has to deal with. My fear is that it's not going to go away and it's going to get worse and more difficult because 
people are going to be looking at her even more carefully. So this is going to have to be handled very delicately, uh, to put it mildly. Um, and I'm worried that uh, the good that could come out of it is not going to happen unless a lot of people, not just Naomi Osaka, but loads of people around the sport t take a good hard look at themselves and think of ways that they can help themselves as people and help the sport in particular because I feel this is the critical time in our sport. You know, we have the three greatest male players ever that are, you know, towards the end of their careers. They're not going to be around much longer. Serena Williams, the greatest of all time, not going to be playing much longer. There's going to be a new generation, new responsibilities. We haven't had much success in American tennis for quite a while. So we're searching and yearning for ways to bring the sport back sort of the, into the public eye. And this is sort of not the way you want to do it. But there is people that say any press is better than no press at all. So I think the fact that um, people are talking about this right now, ultimately, I hope will be a good thing. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. Very few tennis players can understand what you were talking about earlier, John, which is what uh, Osaka's gone through, you know, bursting onto the stage when that year she won the Open, won the BNP Paribas Open before then, and then, of course, what happened with Serena. Now, you kind of went through that to some extent when you broke through as a qualifier, as a teenager at Wimbledon. I remember the press, you know, letting the press from New York come into our house while you were at Wimbledon, like thinking, oh, this is fun, like this is different. So, so we, your family, had to deal with it in, in our own way, but you obviously had to deal with it in, in a lot bigger way, that transition of all of a sudden you're a kid, you know, looking to play the juniors, and the next thing you know you're playing center court against Connors in the semifinals, and then adjusting to what happened after that. Right. Well, I remember thinking pretty vividly at the time when um, the situation was changing day to day for me in terms of my life. My, my life changed at Wimbledon 1977 and sort of secretly hoping, not that I would have beaten them anyway, that I wouldn't win the match against Connors in the semifinals. I felt like it was too much to handle too soon. So I was in a way thankful that I had a chance to take a deep breath, sort of go play some events uh, throughout the summer, get beaten up on a little bit, but to sort of learn my way and then go to college for a year, which allowed me at times to really sort of 
give some real thought to what I would need for me to be mentally, physically, emotionally able to handle what I felt like was coming. And I was uh, given some good advice by our parents, um, among other people. There were other people around, Arthur Ashe, giving some good advice and and, and important people in our sport that would uh, give me the chance to lead. Now, some people may not know, by the way, I acted at times, uh, but (laughs) some of that, dare I say, is, you know, there is, uh, there's, when you're feeling a lot of pressure, you know, what do you do? You may lash out. You may start crying. You know, my, my, I felt many times where I felt like I would, want to say something funny and instead of saying something funny i was sort of taught well you have to keep intense and you have to keep that edge so i would lose that other times where i literally felt like i was going to broken to break into tears and i felt like i didn't want to expose myself guys weren't supposed to cry so you know i turned it into anger and so that i could sort of disguise that so this is um something um these emotional issues especially when you're out there unprotected by yourself on a tennis score when it's a one-on-one it's a hell of a lot different than other sports and you don't have teammates around you coaches organizations protecting you when need be uh and so that's extremely important and something that has to be understood so that um the the right people are around for our sport which is obviously an individual sport to help us through times like this and I think it's 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 become even more exposed, obviously, in a in a great way. But this has been going on ever since, you know, the advent of professional tennis, when there was people that actually could make a living. Look at my buddy Bjorn Borg. Right. He stopped at twenty five. And that was there's it. a danger that yeah. Osaka is not right. going to keep going. Um, who knows what's going to happen with her? So there's, you know, I feel really concerned because Bjorn Borg was one of the best things that ever happened to our sport, and I feel like he was pushed out of the game. And I think Osaka's feeling something similar right now. So Arthur Ashe talked to you, helped you. I know our buddy, your buddy, Vitas Garolitis, may he rest in peace, helped you too. He was sort of a big brother figure. Of course, you beat him in your first major win in the U.S. Open. If you could say something to Naomi Osaka, you, Johnny Mack, what would you say to her now? Well, I would say I'm proud of you, first of all, that you have the guts and the mental uh, integrity to be able to sort of lay bare what you're feeling, which is something that I felt like I'd like to take some pride myself that I told people what I was thinking. And this is, is a situation where it's got to be extremely difficult for someone. It's not just because she wasn't able to play well on clay, because uh, by the way, I think she could potentially, she's a great athlete. I think she could learn how to play on clay. But I would tell her to... um be around people that she trusts. I would tell her that this is a tremendous sport that's done a lot of great things for a lot of people, including herself. I would try to, you know, say, look, this you win or lose a match, life still goes on. She's trying to mature as a human being. I think she's made great strides to try to keep that up and that she should come back when she feels ready and eager to go out and compete on a tennis court. Um, I was assuming that she was ready to do that the French, but clearly situation got overwhelming and you don't want to be supportive. You know, I almost feel like, you know, she's younger than almost all my children. I'd want to give her a hug and, you know, try to get to a little bit more understanding of what she's 
really feeling as a human being. I don't know enough to, well well enough to be able to sort of okay, this is what you do. But um, it was certainly very gutsy. And as an elder retired player, I'm very proud that she put herself out like that. Well, I'd, I'd like to see the three-way hug because Serena Williams said she wanted to give her a hug too. So I'd like to see you between Serena and Naomi. That would be a, uh, a picture worth a thousand <laughs> words. But let I'm, me, all, I'm all for it. Yeah, let, me, let, me, let me say this because I used to think you were, you were crazy. Sometimes I still do. But I remember you said to me once, you said, I don't understand why I got to be in the same locker room as the guy I'm about to play. You know, we should have separate locker rooms, like you know, meaning the guy you'd play in the semis mm-hmm. or the finals when the locker room disappears. Um, and now, you know, I started thinking about this today, actually. I'm thinking to myself, what other sport, right, does the losing team or even the losing individual take, let's say, golf? You know, Phil Mickelson just won uh, the PGA. And I can't even remember now who came in second or third, uh, whatever. But well, Kepka was Kepka. second. He okay. was upset. But my, yeah. my point is, is that there's no other sport, okay, where the losing player has to sit there during, after you've, especially in the finals of a major or finals of any tournament, you've got to sit out there on the court. And then you've got to, you know, you've, maybe you've got to talk to the press, to the, you know, whether it's ESPN or NBC or whomever it is on the court. There's no other sport where that happens. Why do we have to do, in other words, these are traditions in tennis, right? But isn't it time to sort of break, maybe start thinking about, do we need these traditions? Like, do we need, if the person doesn't want to talk, you know, Djokovic and Nadal, when they played that epic Australian final, they're both cramping on the court. I mean, do we need, do we need that to happen in tennis? So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, maybe you were way ahead of your time in thinking, why can't we look at and think things maybe differently for professional tennis players? bro i appreciate that but um absolutely it's something to think about you know i got criticized by the press over the years where they were like McEnroe copped out he wouldn't he wouldn't talk to um the press or he wouldn't talk to the uh the french fans when he lost to lendl in 84 well guess what they didn't ask the the player to i couldn't have been if i wanted to they didn't give a mic to the player Mm -hmm. i'm not sure they gave a mic to the winning player but they certainly didn't give one to the losing player. And later on, they sort of say, well, hey, that's, he was just being difficult. You're like, you know, get your facts right uh, for a change. So I understand the frustration of, you know, of being attacked unfairly. Um, sometimes I was attacked fairly. And Naomi Osaka understands in the situation she's in where she's, you know, built up a huge name and a huge following. I would certainly think she understands that at times – justifiably, as she pointed out, even with what she sent out the other day, was like, look, I may have mishandled this in a little way. I'll take responsibility. But, and that's sort of, you know, it's not all about her. And and, and it's not like the press is wrong all the time. Sometimes you deserve to be criticized. But a lot of times they're just, you know, searching for a story and, 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 and trying to sell a newspaper. And it's a damn shame. And so I, it, it, it's a very difficult to know, to know what to do about this. This is a, this is um, you know, I, that was like a shot in the stomach where you got the wind knocked out of you when uh, the Grand Slams decided to take this to another level. It, it's, it's really shocking. Uh, this is really unfortunate, um, and it just makes you think about all the other things in the past that, that they sort of pretended didn't happen. So I'm only hoping that they look at what's happened 
in this last couple of days as an utter disaster and that something's got to be done about this. I mean, we've all, we've all seen how things have changed in the last year and a half, um, you know, as far as broadcasting the majors and speaking to the players and, you know, you can't be in the same room with them because of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the pandemic. I mean, come on. And for, for people to say, well, you, you know, it's, it's an unfair advantage, you know, to not have Osaka or like, you know, Federer or whomever not do the press. I mean, come on. To me, that's just so absurd. Right. Like, we've got to come up with a way where we, as you said, where the organizations, the tournaments, the tours work with the players like they do, you know, in team sports, like you rightly pointed out, the organizations, the league, it's like, okay, what, how can we make the best of this situation? We, we want, I'm sorry, Naomi Osaka pulls a lot more weight than does, you know, a player who's ranked between 50 and 100. I'm not even going to say the number because then people will say I'm caught picking out a player, that, that number. And you know what I'm saying. The, the top players get certain benefits. They deserve it because they're the ones that bring the eyeballs. You're preaching to the choir. But, well, I, I guess my point is I'm, I'm trying to come up with the solutions to this. You know, the conversation is important. The mental health conversation, bringing it to the forefront, we're starting to see that happen. So give Naomi credit for already having that happen. But I'm looking at, okay, what's Wimbledon going to do? Is Osaka going to play Wimbledon? And if so, how can, how can, we, how can we in the tennis world make sure that this happens, that she can play and that Wimbledon can get sort of what they need, what they want? The players, obviously we all know it's part of being a pro athlete, that you've got to speak to the press, you've got to make yourself available. But can't we figure out a way to do it better, to do it cleaner, to make it where it, it works for everybody? Well, you would certainly hope so. I didn't play uh, Wimbledon in 1986. My son, had, uh, Kevin, was born a few months earlier, but I was trying to make a statement that I was sick and tired about the way I was being treated there, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore, and something had to change. And I noticed nothing changed. And I got it, in a way. The sport's bigger than I am. I understand, you know, they, I learned the hard way. You know, the tournament went on and nothing changed. And I doubled down, Patrick, the next year and didn't play again. Mm -hmm. And nothing changed. And it didn't do me a damn bit of good. Most people don't even know I did it. Um, and I was looking for the, some change, some respect um, that I felt like I deserved and the sport deserved. And I have these guys come in and talk about something that had nothing to do with tennis or people that just wanted to make your life difficult. And so uh, I absolutely hope because this is, you know, you, the sport is littered with players that have fallen by the wayside emotionally in a lot of mm. cases and are basket cases now that we're not talking about because no one wants to talk about it. Um, I'm hopeful that someone, you know, like a Jennifer Capriati, for example, I brought her up before. She was in embroil in a situation when, there was that call at the open where Serena got the bad call. Right. Um, and that was the impetus for getting the electronic equipment. Right. Well, it wasn't Jennifer Capriati's fault, mm -hmm. but she paid the price for it. Like she did it. Right. Like she, so, something could have changed. Look what's happened to her. You know, she had a, she was 13 years old and she got to the semis of the U S open, I believe. And you know, so much pressure. And you hope when you look at a Coco Goff that, something like that doesn't happen that there's her parents understand of you know what it takes and the sport to be able to nurture that's what we try to do with in our own way and the kids at the academy but you got to do that no matter who they are 
Yeah, and this idea, I'm so sick and tired of this. We got to treat everyone fairly. You're going to treat Rafael Nadal fairly as the same guys as 200 in the world. Uh, I'm sorry, the 200 in the world guy. They don't even ask to go in the interview room. I got back. I got. I I use a line as I remember from our our old coach, not Tony Palafox, our, our our young coach, but Dick Gould at Stanford. And I never forget it, John. When I first went to Stanford, he said, uh, "You know, I I said to him, Coach, how do you do this with all these, you know?" individual stars in tennis, you know, even in college, individual players. He says, I treat everybody fairly, but not the same. I thought that was a great line. I mean, I remember that when I was a Davis Cup captain, because to to your point, it was like, you know, if Andy Roddick came to me one day and said, hey, listen, captain, I'm going to practice 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, Andy, whatever whatever you say. That just, you know, whereas if it was a young guy coming up, I said, well, you know, maybe you need to practice a couple hours in the morning and then, you know, play a set in the afternoon. So you're 1,000% right on that. And I hope that this conversation continues. And I so forget about the conversation. We need to have that, but also that some change happens. And I know that if I've been inundated the way I have in the last couple of days with interview requests, I can only imagine what's been going on with you and especially you've got your NBC stuff to do. So I thank you, big bro, for doing this, for this, for giving me this much time on the podcast. This is what people want to hear. They want to hear from you. You're in a unique position. And thank you for doing this. And we need to all be on the same team here and try to get some positives out of this. I mean, I had to save. Are you kidding? I had to save this for the Patrick McEnroe podcast. Come on. <laughs> That's why you're my bro, man. Thanks so much. You got it, man. Talk Love to you me. soon. Take Love care. you. Take care. Bye-bye. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Media.